Welcome to the Nonprofit Exchange Podcast. Stories by leaders for leaders to help you raise the bar on your own excellence to release the potential inside of you. Now, here's today's podcast. Greetings, everyone. This is the Nonprofit Exchange, and I'm Hugh Ballou, founder and president of Center Vision Leadership Foundation. We create synergy through being clear as leaders about our vision. So we lead an initiative. It's, it's the vision that we lead, and we empower people to follow that vision. So our guest today, and I'm going to let her talk about her topic. It's a fascinating topic. And uh, so Debbie Morazic is here from Dallas, Texas. So Debbie, um, it, tell us about who, who Debbie is and a little bit about your topic and why this is important to you. You bet. Thank you, Hugh Ballou, so much for having me. I'm delighted to be here today. So I uh, was late to the nonprofit game because I was raised in the military. My dad worked in the church, and so everybody had to do what everybody said, and uh, there was always money. So it was completely different than how the real world works. And so it wasn't until I was an adult and had a little boy and was like, you know, this little guy, you know, we need to be going to church every Sunday, not just Easter and Christmas. And so we started going. So my minister, we, we had uh, Donna White, Reverend Donna Whitehead, um, and she was renowned for this in our church. If you saw her coming towards you, you knew she was going to ask you something. And the quicker you said yes, the sooner it was going to be over. So I see her coming and she's like, Oh my gosh, she said, I just found out you were raised in the church. So you must understand the business of church. And I said, well, I'm not sure that that correlates, but okay. And she's like, great. So you're going to be on the finance committee and help us because you also have this company, the sales company. So you know how to do sales. And this is just going to be perfect. Well, there really was no excuse to argue with her. And so we did it. Well, from that day to this, uh, I have served on many boards, done many things. And the lessons that I learned there were priceless. One of the key ones I still use today is there are some people that simply want to donate money and you're smart enough, you figure out what to do with it. There are other people that want their name on the building. They'll give you a big check for that, but it must include their name on a structure that will live through eternity. And the third was, and this was very interesting to me, was some people like to give things. So like my church didn't have a sanctuary yet, so we were going to be building. And our minister said, so we have, and he knew who they were. We have, you know, like these 25 families that they like to give things. So you all need to give me a list of what you need. And he was talking about things inside the church, like the pews, an altar, you know, uh, technology equipment, you know, those kind of things. He said, I need a list of what you need. And that's what he did. 
he would call these people up and go, listen, we need 104 pews and that will be, you know, $100,000. Are you interested? And they would go, yes. What else is on your list? He's like, well, I have baby beds, but that's only $20,000. And they go, oh, I can do that too. And we ended up with this list that became like a checklist because we knew exactly what we needed. So, and then of course there were people, our, our minister was also great at breaking things down in that we needed $5 million to do this. And so we had 6,000 members, 5 million divided by 6,000, you know, and he would break it down and say, you know, how much if everybody, if so many gave this much, so many gave this much, so many gave this much. Well, that lesson I learned has served me on every committee and everything I've done since then. You know, I have a real passion for uh, women and children, as many of you do. And uh, also in my business community, I have a real passion for those who are starting their business that are beginning that, you know, they know what it is they do, but they have no idea how to do their business, how to do sales so they can keep their business going. So my career started at Texas Instruments selling semiconductors in Lubbock, Texas. And I thought I would be doing that forever, but I grew up in the technology world, went on, sold other things. And about 25 years ago, started doing consulting to help all kinds of people with their sales and growth initiatives. So I am delighted to be here with you today. Debbie has a company called The Sales Company. The number one reason businesses fail, sales. So, you know, we, we are, thank you for pointing out, that was a great story, by the way, for pointing out that we actually are running a business entity. It's a tax exempt entity. And for the clergy to say the business of the church, um, she's probably in the minority of, of clergy that, um, actually understand that principle. Um, so sales, um, I think that's a misunderstood word. Um, sometimes people feel, and, and it, it's really um, un, misunderstood, in, especially in the nonprofit and more so in the church community, thinking sales is a pushy bad thing to do when, exact, when really sales is finding somebody has a need and connecting them to a resource that fills that need. And if you're in the church, evangelism is nothing but sales. <laughs> so, you know, exactly. connect the dots here. What's so important about mastering sales for any, any kind of organization? Well, you know, there is a definite perception in our country about sales and it being pushy and yucky and awful. And I'm not a salesperson. I would never, you know. Well, the truth of the matter is all of us have been doing sales since we were born. You started yelling when somebody popped you on the butt and uh, they, they did things to make you stop yelling. You know, you got food, you got, you know. So you've been selling in different ways. You communicate much better than you want. And communication isn't just your words. You know, it's how you listen, how you present yourself. There's many ways of communicating. But with sales and in the nonprofit world, I have worked with many and this is the thing. You know, they think it's such an ugly word but it's like, how passionate are you about what you're doing? Because the really great salespeople do not do the sell 
like what you're thinking. There's an old movie with Alec Baldwin called Glengarry Glen Rose. And in there, he talks about the ABCs of selling is to always be closing. If anybody's ever selling to you that way, they're bullying you. That is not sales. The real ABCs of sales is to always be caring. People don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. So when you see people who are passionate about what they do and they're having great success at it and you think, well, they're not even the best ones at this. They may not be the best ones at it as far as their service or their product, but they're the best ones at selling because their clientele know that they care and want to be a part of what they're doing. And that's what we want for each of you is to be able to engage your community, your audience, your people, your congregation with what you are doing and how can they participate in making that happen and be part of the success and the growth. So our listeners in the nonprofit community, we have clergy and nonprofit community, would also include other associations like chambers uh, and, and other associations, um, educators. And I think it, there's two dynamics here where we get stumped. I'm not going to say we fail, but they're hard for us. One is the, the, the discomfort in asking for money. And then the other one is the actual ask ask itself you know we we're not very good at that now i served a church i don't know if you know this for 40 years as music director and in my 12,000 member church in atlanta the pastor was the best salesperson i ever saw he would always meet people and he would when are you going to join the church so he had a very clear ask and he grew up from 2000 to 12,000 by being very intentional about inviting people with a very specific reason why Here's the benefits. When are you going to make a decision? So come in on either of those dynamics, our, our discomfort with talking about asking for money and the, the lack of ability to be very clear with, with the, the request, the ask. You bet. So the ask is, it, actually the ask is on you in the first place. Do you have clarity about what you're asking for? Do you really know what you want, what you need? I mean, do you understand it clearly? There's no doubt in your mind. We need to do this and this is what we need to do it and we need to do it by then. That is the biggest thing with an ask is to understand. So like our minister that I mentioned, uh, you know, was doing the same thing, was building a congregation and uh, they were very clear, you know, like, uh, most people in my community are not from Texas, you know, so everybody's a visitor. They came from somewhere else. And so it would be like, well, how do you have your children engaged in the community? Do they belong to a youth group? You know, are they doing summer camp or they, you know, it was like, well, no. Well, why not? Here's what we have. We have this and they had you covered 12 months a year. 
you know, everything from vacation Bible school, summer camp, fall, spring break camp, you know, all those kinds of things. And, you know, for you, what are you interested in? What are you involved in? You know, we have the men's group, we have the ladies group. And so, you know, he would talk to us and it's like, by the time he finished talking to him, if you didn't join, it's like he would say, so what's the problem? And he would be quiet and he would listen. And you would say, well, I'm going to, and he, he would be able to address it. Why? Because he has clarity. So this is what I find about the ask most oftentimes people aren't clear about what they're asking, what they really want, or what it's going to, how one thing affects the other. So that's one of the things. The discomfort in asking for money is all of us. You know, we, it doesn't matter who you are. Uh, everybody at one time or another has had to ask for money for something, you know, from your parents, you know, uh, you're trying to get something passed with your budget, you know, those kinds of things. Everybody's had to ask for money and it's always uncomfortable. And yet, why is it uncomfortable? Because in our society, we say it's uncomfortable to ask for money, but the truth is our society doesn't work unless there is money. So the sooner you can get comfortable talking about money, then you will find that it comes to you. So for example, most people, they, they think about asking for money. You know, Debbie, will you give me $500? You know, they're, they're uncomfortable. But if you have a conversation with me where you're engaging me, asking me what's important to me, where have I given uh, before? What other causes do I care about? Those kind of things. And you're learning that what I want is in direct correlation with what you want. And then you're telling me about what it is that you're offering and that you know we're looking for donations of $500. Well, instead of you having to say, okay, Deb, will you give me $500? That is a conversation that then I can say, well, I could donate $500. Is there anything else you need? You know, so that it's a conversation. One of the things in these conversations where people really get tripped up is they are asking yes, no questions. And you ask somebody a question and they say no, and you don't know where to go next. What I teach people is to remember to ask open-ended questions, who, what, where, why, how, and when. So the first time you're visiting with somebody, what are the three questions you need to ask? What are those three questions that would qualify this person in your mind that they were the right person or company that you should be talking to? What are those three questions? For, and, and think about it like a roadmap. So you've got a fundraising campaign, you want to raise $5 million, and you've got until October 31st. So what, it's a map. You know, how do we get from here to here? Well, you're going to have to talk to how many people? So what do you ask them the first time you talk to them? What do you ask them the second time you talk to them? Do some of them give you money on the first time they talk to you because it's a small amount, but other people who are going to give a much larger amount maybe have to be talked to seven times. So what are the questions you need to ask going along? Long ago, I was interviewed by Cheryl Hall, and she's the business editor for the Dallas Morning News. And in Dallas, Texas, this is a big deal. It's like having front page advertising 
on the business section of the paper. I'm a one person business, so this is very exciting. So my PR guy gets me this interview and he comes with us because he knows her really well. And so he said, well, I'll drink coffee while y'all visit. So we were having this and I said that I believe that this is really a conversation. It goes back and forth and back and forth. And then people say, great, let's go. Where do we start? Where do I sign? You know, that kind of thing. And my PR guy says to Cheryl, well, that's not everything she says. And I was horrified. And I said, that is exactly what I say. And he went, no, that's not exactly what she says. And he just kept sipping his coffee. And she finally put down her pen and said, well, we're not going any further until you tell me what you really say. And when she said that, it dawned on me. What I say is, if you are talking more than 60% of the time, hush, because you're not getting any new information. And this is one of the powerful things about open-ended questions to get them to talk, to get them to give you the information you need to know if you're at the right place or if you're with the right person so that then you can move on to the next and the next. But so oftentimes, because people are uncomfortable when it comes to talking about money, they just keep talking and talking and talking. And it's not necessarily about what they're there to be talking about. They just keep talking. And so the other person doesn't really have a chance to engage or to ask questions or whatever. You go away thinking, I had a great meeting. It went an hour and they're going away going, I'm not really sure what they were looking for. So being clear with what your ask is and knowing what questions you need to ask to find out if you're with the right people, the right decision makers that can write you a check. Yeah, I remember Zig Ziglar telling a story in his speeches about a kid that goes um, to his mom and asks a question. She said, why don't you ask your dad? And the kid says, because I don't want to know that much about it. And so, you know, they don't want to know everything. And so you've had, there's lots of really good sound bites. We'll have a transcription up um, on the website. And if you're listening to the podcast, um, It'll be there as well. So you can find all these great ideas and sound bites, not only by listening or watching the video, but by looking at the transcript. If you happen by on Facebook, this is the nonprofit exchange, seven and a half years of, of interviews with great leaders, great professionals, helping nonprofit leaders and clergy understand business principles that will help them accomplish their mission, which is to impact people's lives. So Debbie, I like to talk about, um, we build an organization, we might even build our strategy and our board and our committees. Basically, it's like we build a car. And then we sometimes we learn how to drive it, you know, stay between the white lines. Um, now, we need to put gas in it. That's the money. And we tend to uh, think it's going to come automatically because we run a religious institution or we run a charity. And it's a good cause. And people will uh, will give to it. Well, guess what? There's a lot of competition for a really good project. So people feel like they're torn between one or the other. So I'm going to unpack some of these great things that kind of whizzed by here. Um, one of them, let me start with a fundamental one. And you just, you hit on it several times. Um, as, a, as a musician, one of the skills I stress, of course, is listening. And that's one of the most underutilized leadership skills. 
And, and so what you just talked about, I, for many years, I've taught at a, at a business growth conference and I, I have probably during a week, 150 people that, that give me their spiel and they go on and on and on. And I, when they're finished, I don't have a clue about what they're doing. So I think the economy of words is really critical, but it's the right words. So how does some, so knowing what you want, knowing what you're doing and knowing exactly how you're going to present to people. So part of it is, I just realized when you said that, I'm playing back some of these, people are nervous. So they just overdrive and they're nervous with silence. So they want to talk, 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 talk. So the use of silence and then using that as a clarifying moment, how, talk a little bit more about that. So first you got to be clear, uh, not only uh, it's, here's the problem and we're solving it and here's what's going to happen with your donation and don't make it a yes or no. It's how much, or when would you like to be engaged? Like my preacher, when will you join the church an hour later? <laughs> and it, you know, it worked over and over. So, um, so let's, let's, let's do these one at a time. How do you gain clarity on what are the important parts to, to present? And then how does listening play into this and how does silence play into this? Excellent. So one of the best things I think you can do is uh, you sit down yourself, just by yourself and make a list of what it is you think you're doing, what you think your offer is, what the value is in it. And I'm talking about write them down, all of them. And it's not something to do in 10 minutes. This is something, put a little card in your pocket, carry it around with you for three or four days. And it's like, oh, and it also includes this. Oh, it also includes this. So for example, like if you were buying a computer, you would think a computer would help you keep up with your data. You'd be able to communicate, you know, those kind of things. But what else does a computer do? Well, computer saves you all kinds of time because you don't have to go see all these people. You can talk to them on this machine. So there's oftentimes a lot of other things that go with the value of what you're doing that you don't consciously think about. Now, after you've had your three or four days putting that list together, call up whoever are your five uh, business friends or people in your congregation that you really admire and say to them, we are working on a new campaign, a new program, a new offer, and I would like somebody to bounce it off of that's not in the decision-making process with me. Would you be open to listening to what I have in mind? Most people, of course, will say yes. And so then you go and you present it like you think that you want it, how you've thought it out. But the other person hears it and says, well, what about this? Or, oh, that sounds great, but it seems like you could do this too at the same time. So don't judge anybody, what they tell you, what feedback, even if they just say it's great, take that and move to the next person. And when you have talked to these four or five people and got their feedback, you will probably find you were simply not as clear as you thought you were or you're actually doing much more than you're giving yourself credit for, that you need to find a way to speak that more quickly when you're sharing with other people. So that's my first thing is, you know, is getting clarity, but doing it through practice, 
before you go out to who you really want the message to be solid and you know clear about. And then having, um, oh, what were you saying? I'm sorry, the well, listening. being comfortable in the silence. Yes. Yes, so here's the deal. Silence is your very, very best tool. You know, the most powerful tools you have are these two little things that stick out on each side of your head. You know, 60% of communication is listening, you know, and, and listening to hear, not listening to wait for them to quit talking, but listening to really hear what it is that they're saying. And so many people, so they, they've talked, maybe they've even done, as I suggested before, a conversation goes back and forth, back and forth. They're on track. And then they get to a point that maybe the buyer, the person that's wanting, you want them to give you money, they, they just need a moment, you know, like to process. So they sit back in their chair or they're pensive for a moment and you are so uncomfortable with that silence and you start talking again. What they need is that silence to process. Maybe they don't process as quickly as you do. So you need to be, this is why it's so important when you do business with people, when you see people, you can see how they're responding. So he's not ignoring you. He's not being quiet for the heck of being quiet. He's just thinking a moment and trying to put his thoughts together as to what he wants. And, you know, there's an old joke about who talks first loses. Well, I don't believe that. I know, I know. But it is that you do have to get comfortable in that silence. And then when you think you have everything answered, you ask again, what else would you like to know? What else? could I share with you? And then they say one more thing to you. You write it down, you make note, you respond to it, and then you say, what else? And you continue to do that until they have nothing else they wanna know, they wanna ask, or they wanna hear again. Because in that then, they feel like they have all the information they need, you have given all the information, and so then it is, you know, well, let's get started. And if they say, no, I can't, well, then you're right there right now. You don't have to make another appointment. So what could we do so that this could be a decision today? And it may be that it just can't be today, but you're asking them. And it's like, well, I need to do this, or I just hadn't thought about it. You know, well, when can we meet again? Do not ever leave a meeting or a call that you don't have another plan of action for the next time you're connecting. Okay, so being comfortable with silence is very, very important. And also, some people are just a lot more shy than you, you know, so they're, they're just not as talkative as you are. Yeah, that's hard for those of us who are extroverts. Mm -hmm. um, and what I've learned about the extrovert introvert thing is uh, we who are extroverts tend to scare people who are introverts because we come on so strong and then we make suggestions and the introvert hears that as a final answer. So we have to be, I have to, I have to pull back a lot. Being an oldest brother of brothers is a certain distinctive style of, of being in charge that I, I must be aware of. So, so you've highlighted 
presentation skills, which I was hoping we'd get to. Um, we are, um, we're leaders, we're championing a cause and we can make all the excuses we want. Oh, I'm not a salesperson. Oh, I don't like to talk about money. I don't like this. Well, get over it. If, if you're not good at it, do it. And maybe you're not the primary person, you are the leader. And in my world, leader is an influencer. It's not push leadership, it's pull. So how do we influence people to come our direction? The conductor doesn't reach out, the conductor rings people to the beat. Right here, you've been in a church choir or an orchestra. So the, the um, I wanna unpack, we're gonna take a sponsor moment here, but we're gonna unpack the response part of this and the silence and responding and then um, how do we handle objections? You, you, you talked about some of that, but I want to talk about um, one of our sponsors is a company called Word Sprint. Word Sprint is, is our sponsor partner for the magazine we publish, Nonprofit Performance 360 magazine, which goes to nonprofit leaders uh, we, in print. And it, a lot of people read it online in a digital version. But our partner is Word Sprint. And here's Word Sprint's ad in the back. And Word Sprint has mastered over the last two decades the art of top of mind marketing. You send your message. So you have donors, you have supporters in your charity. They wanna know what's going on. They've given you money. Are you, have you been good stewards with it? So top of mind marketing, you send them something in print. They've got it in their hand. Here's a celebration. We've been able to impact people's lives with your support. So you do that. 30% of this whole program is the message, the right message. 30% is to the right person. If you're mailing to people who are no longer alive, that's not a good plan. Make sure that you know who you're mailing to. The right message, 30%. The right person, 30%. And 30% is the frequency, the right rhythm. They don't want to hear from you every day. They don't want to hear from you every week, but maybe once a month, once every two months, just touch base. So this is relationship marketing. 10% of it is, it looks good, but not too fancy. So wordsprint.com, go there, make an appointment, talk to Bill Gilmer, find out about how to keep your tribe engaged, keep your donors donating. And then at the end of the year, when you send them that message, hey, it's time for our campaign, they're more likely to say, I support you and I want to increase my donation. And by the way, my friend wants to join us. So the nonprofit nonprofitperformance.org is where you find it, nonprofitperformance.org. We're um, talking to Debbie Morizic, uh, founder and chief cook and bottle washer of the sales company. And it's yes. the sales, you have to use hyphens to get her on the web. It's the sales company with a hyphen between the and sales, a hyphen between the and company, the, I mean, sales and company. Yeah. Between each word, there's a hyphen, the salescompany.com. And you'll find all about Debbie and what she does and her brilliance. So we're afraid to ask for that donation, for that board position, for that um, committee chair, that committee member, or afraid to ask for somebody to commit because they might say no. And you mentioned earlier, don't make it a yes or no decision. Like I said, my pastor said, when are you going to join the church? Is it now or is it, is it next week? So there was a clear motion forward. So when you make the ask, if I heard you clearly, you want to shut up. You want to listen. You want to give that person space. And whether or not the next person who talks loses, 
the next person that talks will have a significant impact on how it moves forward. Now, and then you said somebody wants to know more information and you give them that until they've run out of information. But how do we handle objections? I've heard, I've heard the old adage that in, uh, in, in the sales world, an objection is a request for information because they might be objecting because they don't understand everything. So what's your take on that? Exactly. And also, I believe no is just simply the beginning of a conversation. So, you know, objections. So uh, first, let me just say, Hugh, you, you crack me up with the hyphens between my company name. The reason for that, when I went to get the salescompany.com, the guy who had it wanted $3 million for it. And I said, oh, I don't, I don't think so. So I went back to my designer and said, I don't know what I'm going to do. And she said, I'll tell you what we're going to do. We're just going to put hyphens on there and pay the 150 bucks, you know, and get it set up. And that's what we did. And it stayed all this time. Later, I met the guy who wanted $3 million. And it was like, you know, do you know how nuts you are? But anyway, so it's like the rest of the story, Paul Harvey. Okay, so objections. One of the things about objections is it's perceived generally in our, our culture to be negative. An objection isn't necessarily a negative. More oftentimes than not, it's really a question. You know, they're posing it like I, I don't or I won't or I can't or whatever. Think about what it is they're saying before you respond. Is what they're saying, is it something about something physical? Is it a feeling? Is it emotional? What is it they are saying with what you're perceiving to be their objection? And then begin again, like we talked about earlier, asking open-ended questions. So you might say something like, um, well, it sounds like you've had experience with this before. Could you, would you share that with me? And they can say, yes, I participated in a campaign and this, this, and this, you know, was supposed to happen and this didn't happen. And then ask, you know, what could have been done differently there? Because, you know, the armchair, you know, people, it's like, they always say, well, it wasn't right, it wasn't this. Well, what could have been? And then you can respond with how you would respond to that objection. So they've had experience with this before and they don't like it. So you're wanting to get to what was their experience before that led them to be objecting now. And you really hear that. And then you can respond with how you would respond to the objection. But the most important part in responding to an objection is don't get your feelings hurt. Don't get your nose out of joint. You know, it is simply, they don't understand everything you've said. It is, and I'm going to say this, 9.99999% has nothing to do with you. And yet the way people respond to objections so oftentimes is as if it's personal and it's not. And it it's makes it worse. It makes it worse. Yes, it absolutely does. Because when you feel it's personal, then whether you realize it or not, you uh, intuitively are defensive. And that person feels that. They may not be able to say you're acting defensive, but they, they feel something is unsettled, it's not right. Whereas when somebody has an objection, you continue to ask questions, ask about their experience, the conversation simply continues. 
There's no emotion. There's no antagonism. There's none of that. And then you might find the guy really doesn't have an objection at all. He just needed more understanding. You know, it's relationship. It is. And we Relationship is everything. Well, um, and, and what we teach at Center Vision is underneath leadership is relationship. Underneath communications is relationship. Underneath the financial results is relationship. So that's, it's all dependent on having a trusted relationship with people. It's not that they're your best friend, but who's going to give you money if they don't trust you? Right, right. So the trust is key. Absolutely key. There were times in my 40 years um, <laughs> when uh, we'd finish a service and somebody come at me with their finger pointed and, and be very angry about a hymn choice. You know, what I wanted to say, I don't like that hymn. What I want to say is because you don't have good taste or you're stupid or something. But, <laughs> I, you know, I was well behaved. And so yeah. what I developed was, oh, I know how you feel. You know, I felt that way until I found out how precious this was. And now that's my best friend. Or do you have a best friend? Was there a time that person was not your best friend? So I think part of an objection is helping people change a paradigm as well because they're missing something. Right. And, you know, one of the things uh, that I say quite oftentimes when, you know, somebody is objecting is simply, well, that's interesting. You know, emotion neutral. Mm -hmm. That's interesting. Tell me more. Yeah, no value judgment. Exactly. You know, and sometimes they just need to get it out. You know, they didn't get to speak up at the last experience they had that was bad and they're still mad about it kind of thing. Allow them to bring it forward because that information they're going to bring forward to you is going to be something you can respond to. And you may be able to do something and you may not. I understand that. But at least you will have addressed the objection. You will know you can or cannot do something with it. And it allows both of you to move on and still Instead of leaving one another and going, now, what do we do? You know, it will be clear about what the path forward is. Love it. Love it. Love it. Um, we have some really brilliant people uh, watching and I'm going to, if it's okay with you, let them ask a question or make a comment in just a minute. While I'm making that happen, um, I'm going to ask you one more question. We're always looking, people say to me often, often, um, I don't know anybody to ask. I don't know where to go. So how do we create new opportunities to have conversations? Oh my gosh. So I, <laughs> I, I like to say, start where you are, you know, so who are you with today? Okay. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter who you're with, who you're with today. You've got that kind of question. When you're with them, say, by the way, this morning when I was getting ready, you know, I have this thought, do you know who I might talk to about this? You will be amazed. You think the randomness of your thought and the randomness of this person, you know, would be like, there's no way. You will be stunned when this person says to you, oh my gosh, well, my next door neighbor is the guy who's the president of, and you know, that's what they do all day. Would you like to talk to him about it? Well, yes, I would, you know, or, you know, I say to people now, uh, if there is something that you want to know, 
depending on what it is, I'm not talking about giving away secrets or anything, but you know, just to post something in the form of a question on LinkedIn or whatever social media you use and say, what do you think, or who do you know that's working in this space? You know, the sum of the parts is greater. Yeah, the sum of the parts is greater than the whole, you know, and these people will tell you. That's synergy in Covey's definition, I love it. Yes, um, exactly. It's so back to the relationship piece, as we approach people, um, I think we want to be cautioned, wealthy people and successful business people sometimes feel like they're, they're treated like an ATM yeah. with, with non-private leaders. So they're, what you've created is, is a substantive conversation about relationship. And maybe you don't get to money in the first conversation. That's exactly right. Yes. You need to understand them and where they are and what's going on. So for example, 2020 is just a beautiful example of this. There were people last year that were, were planning were intentioned that they were going to donate X amount of money to this, 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 and this. And 2020 came, flipped their world upside down. They did not have the revenue they expected in their business to be able then to give to others that they care about. And so they can't do that. So for you to come in, instead of coming in and talking about the donation they're going to make this year, is to start the conversation about where are they? What are they up to? What's changed? What did 2020 do to you? Because some people 2020 did great things to, you know, it provided opportunity that they'd never had. So they have money when normally they wouldn't have money. So, you know, going in, thinking about a conversation and think about yourself, you know, and these things is to make it feel personal. The most successful salespeople are always the people that are personal. And I, and I don't mean they have to be extroverted like that. I'm not talking about that, but that back to the always be caring, you know, they ask about you. They genuinely want to know what has happened. You want to work with them, even if it's a bad year and they can't donate anything. You need to let them know that, yes, you value this relationship and you will be there when this is over for them. But in the meantime, what could you do? Who do you know that you could help them maybe get past it more quickly? You know, that there's always something in it for both of view. Brilliant. Brilliant. That just does a lot to calm anxiety. So you, you may have, of course, seen this book. And of course, you may have seen the article on whatever page that is with um, <laughs> about be the change you want to see the world is at the top of that. So uh, Bob Hopkins is our mutual friend who connected us. Um, what comment or question do you have for our guest, our guest today? <clears throat> Well, I told you Debbie was a force uh, to be reckoned with, and she is. I have known her for 25 years, and I don't know a lot of people for 25 years, but Debbie, you just can't get away from. And it's not because she's pursuing you. It's because she has, there, she has lots of reasons for us to pursue her. So anyway, uh, in my book, she wrote an article that changed my life, and that's why I'm still connected with her, and it's called The Circle of Influence. It's not what you know, it's who you know and you know what i thought i knew that and i did know that but i didn't know that it was actually a theory and a practice and a skill and debbie taught me it was a skill and taught me it was a practice and taught me it was important and i teach my students in communications all about that debbie you haven't said much about that today because um you've, you've said so many other important things but 
tell us why it's important to know. You have said no people and you said relationships. How do you develop relationships? Right. Very good. So first of all, this, you know, this influence, I, I teach something I call the rule of 250. Each and every one of us know at least 250 people. And before you go, no, I don't, think about it. Your family, your friends, your colleagues, people you worked with previously, people you volunteer with, your community service, your church, your kids are in Boy Scouts, Girl Scouts, you know, what, whatever in 50 people. And the, you know, Hugh, when you were talking about, you know, having this idea and I'm saying seek out five people and just say it to them and you'll be amazed who they know and how this works. I share a story about, there was a gentleman who was my, love him, great, great man, but he lived in Dallas and like many people in Dallas, he was from somewhere else. So every year when it came time for Thanksgiving, he went to grandma's house and he complained. This was the most lovely man. I could not believe he made his family sound like such wolves. So the fourth year he did this, I finally said to him, you make me crazy. Grandma is not going to live forever. Why don't you just go to her house like you do a chamber event and act like you don't know anybody and be nice and be civil and talk to everybody. He's just like, Marizic, you make me nuts. And I'm like, well, you make me nuts. And I tell you, she's not going to live forever, period. Fast forward Monday morning, I have a voicemail. I don't mean talking loud. I mean someone screaming, Marizic, I hate your guts. Call me. Well, I realized who it was, and I'm just honoring enough. Obviously, this man isn't going to be my client anymore. So I'm honoring enough to call and say, what's the deal? He doesn't let me say hello or anything. He goes, Debbie, what is the number one company I have been trying to get into for four years? I went General Electric. He said, well, guess who my uncle is? I said, I haven't a clue. He said, my uncle is the president of a division of General Electric. I could not hardly keep myself from saying, and how long has he been your uncle? 45 years. The people that you want are more close to you than you can even imagine. And I will tell you, I've even done this in an audience of 2000. Ask for a volunteer. Who in here is brave enough to stand up and say someone or a company that they would like to meet? You don't have to have a reason why, just who. So usually even in 2000, there's one that will stand up and say, you know, John Smith, great, please sit down. And then I ask, is there anyone in this audience who knows John Smith and would be willing to introduce this lady to him? somebody always stands up. We all know people, but we don't share with people enough about what we do. 
And I tell you this, I've learned it for myself. I, I shared with you, I'm a one person company. If you had told me 25 years ago that 90% of my business would come from referrals, not people I made a sales call on, but people who called me who said, you know, I talked to Mary, she said you kicked her in the tush and that you do this great and that I should hire you. So when can we start? I, I would have never believed you. I would have never believed you, but that is the truth of what my business is. So imagine that your community knows you so well. They are clear on your mission, what you believe, what you think, and they tell two people who tell two people who tell two people. And your community grows, not because now that you've touched everyone individually, but you have touched enough people and been clear with your message that other people can engage with it and can repeat it and engage others. So therefore then your community grows exponentially or your revenue. Love it, love it. Hey, Bob, you got her excited, love it. <laughs> so let's go to, Bob's in Dallas and let's go to California. Uh, Burke Franklin owns a uh, business tool, power tools, and he has uh, biz plan builder. We're kind of short on time, Burke. So you have a question or a comment, uh, having, having the structure of doing a business plan or a strategic plan helps, you know, what to ask for. So Burke, if you got, you want to weigh in here? Well, I think about, you know, like the, the, the pastor you said in Atlanta who had no, no, no hesitation to say, so you're going to join my church. You know, if you really know what you're doing and what you're about and you've got it all dialed in, I think the business plan really helps you understand, you know, what you're doing and who you are and why and all that kind of stuff. It makes it much easier to have the kind of confidence to look somebody in the eye and say, do you want to do this thing? I mean, I've, I've tried all kinds of different sales pitches and stuff. And I remember circling uh, buildings when I used to sell electronic components for Texas Instruments trying to come up with the, the perfect thing to say. What's what's my opening line? What's my closing line going to be? How can I do this perfectly? And I realized, you know, stop circling the building, drive in the parking lot, walk in the front door and go, hi, my name is Burke Franklin. I sell electronic components with Texas Instruments. What do you guys do? <laughs> you know, and it, it's, it's a matter of going in and asking. It doesn't matter what you say. You'll sort that out along the way. The idea is to ask and then figure out you know what how, how better to say it later on but at least start trying start experimenting with how you ask for the money and the other thing i think too is the fear of the money the fear of profit like ooh, profit if i make a profit i'm stealing and really what profit is is the value you bring to the party the fact that you're involved in this deal in this transaction whether you're you found a product or service for somebody or you're bringing it to them faster or you're helping them put it together it's your contribution to the deal is where you earn your profit. And it's really based on the value to the other person, not your cost plus some percentage. That's irrelevant. If you can, like, like with the business plan software, I could charge people five to $10,000 to write a business plan, or I could sell you a software tool for a hundred bucks and you can do it yourself. And you're going to save a heck of a, amount, a lot of time. You know, it, it's, you're saving the five or $10,000. So I have nothing on saying, hey, for a hundred bucks, you can get the software product and do all this and pitch investors and all that. And so the idea of how much effort I'm saving somebody, what is the value to them? And so that's where my profit comes in is the, the value I'm bringing to them. And again, the ideal pitch is is not so relevant you'll get better at that as you do it the thing is just to start to start asking would right. you like to buy this product 
Are you interested in, in subscribing today? Whatever you want to say, but say something. At least go ask. It. Go for it and do it. Thank you, Burke. Uh, Debbie, you want to respond to that? Yes, Burke. God love you. Uh, <laughs> practice, 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 practice. You know, so oftentimes, you know, there's two companies say that have invented the same thing. And then you look at one, you go, this one is far superior. It has this, this, and this. This one, not this much, but this one has done great. And this one hasn't at all. It's exactly what Burke was saying. You got to show up and, and start. Just practice. You don't know how to say hello the first time you walk in. Well, now you do. So go to the next place and you know how to say hello and ask a question. And then you know that and then go to the third place. You say hello, you ask a question and you know, you ask to see someone. And it is with that practice. There's so many people that build the greatest mousetrap and then they think the world is just going to be the path to their door. And they're going to want it and buy it. And guess what? The world does not do that. So that's why you oftentimes see the guy who maybe doesn't have the best mousetrap has the best business because he has told everybody that rule of 250. He's told all those 250 and the 250 that they know. Everybody knows what he does. And so even if they don't understand it completely just a little bit, they're going to pick up the phone and call Burke and say, you know, you said, so is it this? And he can say, yes, it is. Or no, it's not that, but it can be. And then you've got a conversation going. The deal is most people can have a conversation about what they do, but how do you get the privilege of having that conversation? You have got to start somewhere. So just excellent, excellent point, Burke, and also on value as well. And I can't believe you worked at TI too. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I want to try to I want to try to get Jeffrey uh, and Jeffrey Fogum is um, he and Bob are both uh, certified fundraising professionals. Jeffrey, we got about two minutes. Do you have a comment or a question for our guest? Talk really fast, Debbie. I, I enjoyed, loved, and appreciated every single part of this. It was incredible. I, I left a sales career 30 years ago, moved into fundraising, and I brought this thing that you said about always caring, always closing is just phenomenal because that's what I brought from my sales career across into to the philanthropic side is, you know, as soon as a customer, client, donor realizes that we're more interested in them as a person and their specific needs than we are in their money it changes everything. I, I, and, and that relationship is everything piece. And the trust is so incredibly critical and I'm so glad you said it. I always get up when I tell a presentation, the first thing I tell people is fundraising is not about money. It's about relationships. What happens if the donor, you just mentioned it in 2020, what happens if a donor can't make a gift one year? What happens if there's a relationship, nothing happens. It continues on because we care about them more than we do the gift that they thought they could make this year, but they can't make. And some people just have bad years. What are we supposed to do with them? We're supposed to care about them and carry them forward. And, and that's really what it's all about. 
love them through the process. Jeffrey, yeah. I so admire that and how you've taken that and put it into a career of nonprofit. I have several very successful salespeople that I've known that in their career, they've gone on and done nonprofit and been very successful at it because they could raise money. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, it's been a lot of fun. Thank you. Jeffrey's uh, and Bob are advisors for Center Vision Leadership Foundation. So thank you for being here today. Uh, Sheikh Rashid had to leave, had another meeting. Uh, but um, Debbie, um, before we ask you to do a final thought, I want to ask you another question. Um, so it's being very clear on the value we, we, we've heard over. How do we help convey that value to make it easier for people to say yes? We've talked about this some, but hone in on that piece. How can we make it easier and clearer for people to say yes. Is to understand really what your value is. And the value isn't always, like I said, you know, with a computer that the computer, you know, makes things easier. The computer saves you time. And the deal with values, if you, you have to speak them, you have to tell people the value of this is one, two, three, you know, whatever, that there's many values. Some people will care about some of the values and not about the others, but you must know them. And you must know them, you know, like if somebody woke you up in the middle of the night from a dead sleep and you can say, our five values are this. I'm not talking about something you just post on the wall. I'm talking about really knowing what this value is. This, if you do this, we will educate, you know, our first through sixth graders in our community, and we will save X amount of dollars for our community over the next 12 years by this. And so that percentage of them, if they can, are able to continue with school, then they'll be able to go to college and they'll be able to do this, you know, that kind of thing is to really, really understand it. So whichever one it is, you can speak to it and you can speak to it with passion and knowledge. Wow. Wow. I wish you could get over being so bashful. Um. <laughs> yeah. Um, so you're in, and Really, you're so passionate about what you're doing. It's, it's, it's highly contagious. So I'm gonna come back to you in just a second and ask you for a closing thought or challenge to leave people with. But our sponsor moment is ourselves. Now, there's a spot open for you to give your message to a nonprofit audience, nonprofit leaders, their boards, the communities they serve, the clergy, the communities they serve. So you could be a sponsor in the podcast um, and we could highlight what value you have or you could have your name in a mailing for the magazine that we send out to customers. And you could dedicate a mailing, goes in an envelope, your logo on the front, your message inside. It's highly targeted to a specific audience that needs what you offer. And we can help you do what Debbie talked about. What is the value proposition that's so important for them? And we can get you in front of those people who are decision makers and you can help them solve their problem. And we can have a good time working together. So go to nonprofitperformance.org. You can see the rate card. You can see the sponsor document. And you can see previous issues of Nonprofit Performance 360 magazine. We're talking to Debbie Mrazek, the sales company. It's got hyphens, the hyphen sales hyphen company.com. You can find all about what she does on the, on the web. And you've learned so much today. I'll bet you there's a whole lot more you can learn with Debbie. Debbie, great stuff today. And it, I've learned a lot. And what do you want to leave people with today? 
Uh, I leave them with what I always leave my audience in that you do not, however you showed up at this call today, however you found out about it, you do not have to be great to get started, but you do have to get started to be great. And Burke really teed it up. It is truly, you do not have to be great to get started, but you do have to get started to be great. And we know you want to be great. So whatever you haven't done, let it go. Begin today. It's a new beginning. Thank you so much, Debbie, for being our guest on the Nonprofit Exchange. Thank you for having me. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.